You are listening to The Game Plan on the official Raiders Podcast Network. Here's your host, JT the Brick. Welcome to The Game Plan. I'm your host, JT. Week 10, Sunday, November 15th, coming up 2020. That's a 1.05 p.m. start at Allegiant Stadium as the 5-3 and three Las Vegas Raiders take on the 3-5 and five Denver Broncos. And we are busy. Raiders stacking wins. Something we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, building momentum at this time as the team awaits to being coming healthy again. Can the Raiders get their team back at full strength and a good opportunity to come home and win a game and keep momentum going at Allegiant Stadium on Sunday? I'm excited. Raider fans should be excited because this team is playing good football and they won a gutty game in Los Angeles against the Chargers in a game that would have had 50-plus thousand Raider fans in Los Angeles, and it was eerily quiet as the Raiders went back and forth with Justin Herbert but found a way to win the game. You know, that was a game where everything came together. There were some mistakes. The fumble at the end of the first half gave the Chargers the lead, but the Raiders came out with adjustments. Another Gruden game with Gruden staff making halftime adjustments that paid dividends quickly in the second half. Car to Aguilar. Chargers rush four. Decent job this time. And Carr's going to go for the home run into the end zone. Caught. Touchdown. Aguilar loose for the touchdown. But the job that was done was that of the offensive line giving Derek Carr enough time to look deep that time. That's such a great call by the godfather, Brent Musburger. He could see it. He's a veteran. He saw the O-line, and that was key. Protection with the next man up, with the next man up, and players who are stepping up for the injured offensive line. No Richie Incognito, no Trent Brown, no Colt Miller in that game. And the Raiders, Denzel Good, Brandon Parker, the substitutes, the backups are no longer subs. They'd be starters on other teams. They're playing exceptionally well. Derek Carter Waller, something we want to see more of. Beautiful touchdown in the back of the end zone. Second down and goal. Carr will go back into the gun with Jacobs alongside to the left. It's a tight formation. The receivers are in tight. Carr is going to throw. Looks, fires high. Caught in the back of the end zone by Waller for a touchdown. Jackpot, baby. Touchdown, Vegas. It's got to happen. Carr on the day, 13-23, to 23, 165 yards, two touchdowns. No interceptions, only sacked once in that game. The Raiders were able to run it. Two-headed monster, Booker, eight carries, 68 yards, and a score. Josh Jacobs, 14 carries for 65 yards and a score. And Carr ran it twice, jumped over the top, 14 yards, and played extremely well. But this came down to the clock and the last two plays of the game. And Isaiah Johnson making plays. The final play of the game was about as emotional as you'll ever see. Herbert's going to take the snap. Four-man rush. Lob it to the right. High caught. Grabbed in the air. Shaking touchdown. They went over to 6-8 Donald Parham. They went to the tallest player on the offense, Justin Herbert. And the Chargers have won the game. Chargers initially looked like they won the game. And I'm at a Legion Stadium, and I hear Lincoln Kennedy say, the ball's out. The ball's out. Lincoln saw that, said it on the broadcast, and then they reviewed it. And thank God for replay and enough cameras that got it right. They're looking at the replay as that ball popped out on the ground. Here we go. Here we go, baby. 
the ruling on the field has been changed. The receiver did not maintain control of the ball throughout the process of the catch. It's incomplete. Game over. Jackpot. Vegas wins, baby. Incredible win. It could have went either way. They got it right. They got it right in the Raider Nation. Celebrated all over the world with that win, especially in Los Angeles, back here in Vegas. Just an exciting character win. John Gruden got that team to step up. That was adversity on steroids, and the Raiders prevailed. To summarize it, we're happy to win. We're just thrilled to win, and especially a game like that. Shows a lot of character. It was a character win. And for everybody back in Vegas waiting for this team to come home and play a home game again, big for the fans who are behind this team. You know, I just hope the Raider fans appreciate the effort. We, we know, uh, I know I got to coach a lot better. And uh, we're going to get back to work here and try to get ready for Denver. We, we, we miss our fans and hope to see some of them in Las Vegas when we get home. And we'll get you all set up for the Denver Broncos as we continue here. One from Derek Carr on the fact now that they could do two things well. They can run it and dominate games that way. And when they have to step up, they can throw it deep and pass. I think the thing that is so exciting to me is that we've won games where we've had to throw it for 300 yards. We've won games where we've had to rush it for 200 yards, like – And it is fun, man. And it was an exciting week on Raider Nation Radio. Isaiah Johnson was on with Vinny Bonsignor and Lincoln Kennedy. I hope you're listening to that show right here on the Raiders app at Raiders.com. You can hear the new flagship for the Silver and Black. And that final play afterwards, he's getting the publicity that he deserves. He was ready to make plays like that. That one, okay, I absolutely knew that one was coming. Um, The first time he came to line up, PG called a timeout, and I was like, okay, they didn't bring him out here for no reason. So I'm like, okay, <laughs> you know, he he's huge. You know, I'm our biggest corner, so in my mind, I'm like, look, I got to either make this play or it's going to be the game. So, you know, I did whatever I could to make the play for the team. And um, initially, initially, he was so tall that I couldn't get my hands on the ball when he initially caught it. But coming down, I knew if I could rake it out, then we could, you know, possibly win the game. So happy for him. How great does he sound? He's fan. He was born for this. He wants to make more plays, so he's on the radio more, press conferences, talking about it, but he's the ultimate teammate, and he, he worked for that. And as Coach Gruden told me, he is a work in progress, and they're going to continue to coach him up. Taking a look at some of the stats in this game, Broncos' offense struggles. They're 26th overall. The Raiders are 14th. Uh, The Broncos rushing the football about 112 yards a game. The Raiders over 131 yards a game. Passing offense, Raiders 19th, the Broncos 24th. Third down efficiency, Raiders second at 51%. The Broncos 29th at 37.4. When it comes to the defense, the Raider defense is playing better. Their rush defense is 17th. They're giving up 118.5 a game. And when you look at points... Per game, the Raiders are still giving up 28.6. That is ranked 24th. The Broncos right around there, too. They're ranked at 22nd, giving up about 27.1 points a game. So these teams are very similar. But the Raiders have a more explosive offense that I think will be critical in this game. So the Raiders are 5-3, and three, currently in second place in the AFC West and sixth in the AFC playoff picture. As you know, seven teams will make the playoffs from each conference. But Roger Goodell this week said that it could be eight. They put a contingency plan in for COVID because the COVID numbers are going up that it could go out to eight. I think it's going to go out to eight because I think Roger Goodell knows something. And there could be games postponed or moved, and they're going to go out maybe one more. But either way, the Raiders would be in the playoffs if the playoffs started as you're listening right here. Best start to the season for the Raiders since 
2016 when they were 6-2. and two. Raiders got to get going here at home. They're 1-2 and two in their new stadium. They've got to find a way to play better at home. You know, you look at that one and two record. They're giving up. They're scoring twenty five point seven points a game, allowing allowing thirty three. Okay, that's a minus seven sack differential. Also at home on the road, they're four and one. But now they get Denver at home, and that's got to be a big deal for everyone in that locker room. The Raiders will face a team currently below five hundred in three of the next four games. But who cares? We take it one day at a time here. It's Denver, 3-5. and five, Kansas City's now 8-1. and one, Atlanta, 3-6. and six, And the Jets, who are 0-9. And, and the Raiders have lost 12 of their last 17 games against the Broncos, everybody. Drew Locke versus Derek Carr. Locke's completion percentage, 56.5. Derek, right at 70, 69.8. We'll round it up a bit. And for Carr, 16 touchdowns, two interceptions, six touchdowns, and six interceptions for Locke. Can't, let, can't allow Locke to get going. Cannot let, allow him to get going in this game. And that is a good segue to our first guest, the defensive coordinator of the Silver and Black, Paul Gunther joins us on the game plan. Coach, thanks a lot for coming on. Doing great, doing great. we got another division game this week in Denver. Uh, be happy to get back home in our home stadium. We're excited about the challenge. Coach, the teaching moment with Isaiah Johnson, the strip out of the corner of the end zone, following that play to the end, how is that not only a momentum builder but a teaching play for the rest of your secondary? Well, I think it's, you know, it's coming down to the end of the game there. They had Mike Williams, who's a one of the best 50-50 ball catchers in the league, and uh, he made a great play. And then, you know, the, uh, Williams got hurt on the play, and then they had to put the tight end in there, who's six eight, and we kind of had an idea what the play was going to be. And you know, it's a it's a good teaching tool for all the guys, but certainly for Isaiah to to come up with that play and, and build confidence off that play. He's been doing really good in practice. Uh, we've been moving him around some in safety and corner, so uh, he's an ascending player for sure. What is that like, Coach? Walk me through real time. Uh, as Williams goes down, you're suggesting you think that play is going to happen again. I'm thinking, why don't they want to move Herbert outside the pocket, get him moving, and maybe do a misdirection play, try to throw it over the middle of the field where he can tuck it and run. Why was that play something you were expecting? Well, the advantage we had in that situation is they, they, had, they had to go 55 yards. They had three timeouts plus the two-minute warning. So the clock was our friend at that point, uh, tackling, check, getting the ball checked down to the back and making them burn timeouts uh, all the way to the end uh, was critical. So they were out of timeouts at that point. We had one left, so we were able to see them break the huddle and see the formation that they were in, uh, kind of like a basketball timeout, and then see if they were going to go to their second play. So we saw the formation. We kind of alerted the players what, what could come up and it was a, a three-pronged play where they could throw the fade out to the backside receiver, run a quarterback draw, or throw a wide receiver screen to a four-man diamond set to the, to the left side of the formation. So we saw the formation. They came back, broke the huddle in the same formation, and we had a pretty good idea of what was coming. So Isaiah came up big there um, on that play against the guy. You know, he fought that ball all the way to the end. And obviously, you know, we get the, we get the good angle shot of it. The ball um, obviously hit the ground, which was great. I talked to George Jackson and Mike Haynes about that play, and they both said that this is something you work on as a defensive back. I wasn't aware of that on how you can work on it because it's such a tough throw to execute, and how do you get your D-back saying, look, if you're going to get beat at the top of that catch, at the crown of the catch, it's your job after that. Even Eric Allen said 
it on the post game. You got to fight violently to strip the ball out. How do you work on that? Well, you know, you got to understand where you're at on the field, what the situation is, and uh, you know, the footwork down there for the corners a little bit different when you get tighter in the red zone. Um, understand the split of the receiver. If the receiver's kind of closer to the formation, you kind of know it's going to be some kind of fade or slant, one of those two plays. So the receiver's split was cut down a little bit, so Isaiah had a pretty good idea what was coming, and he got his hand in between. Well, we, we sticking the hand in the hole between the, the, the catcher's uh, two arms, and he was able to rake the ball and fight it all the way to the last minute. He did an excellent job at that, uh, something we practice often. Kwiatkowski had a big game. How do you get more out of Littleton? Are you seeing improvements with him on film? Yeah, yes, I am. And you know what, what, what you got to understand is we have a lot of moving pieces. We have a lot of guys. Obviously, both our corners were out. We didn't have. We haven't had our net. Mullen went out early in the game, and we've had a lot of moving pieces in there. Some new guys, and every week it's something different based upon who you're playing. Whether it be the Chargers or the Browns, or this week versus Denver, where hey, we may tweak a coverage here or put this guy in a position there. So, but it's it was it's it's within the realm of the scheme so they got to understand each week it's going to be tweaked and I think those two guys are starting to learn that hey it's every week's going to be a little something different based upon whether you're playing a good tight end or a good back whatever it is I think they're starting to learn uh, what it's supposed to look like. The seek and destroy mission from Jonathan Abram the fans love it I love his energy I love his swagger before during and after the game how does he become more disciplined in his assignments especially tackling, tackling in the open field? What he's got to understand is I'm, I'm going to give him 10 to 15 shots a game where he can, he can go in there and create havoc. And then on the other plays where, where it's not maybe his, call, his number called, he's got to play uh, with depth, whether it be in the coverage or in leverage, if it's man-to-man, whatever it is, and not freelance as much. We've got to understand with John, and this is his sixth NFL game of his career. So uh, he's still a guy who's a work in progress, a young guy himself, but uh, he certainly bring it, brings energy to our unit. On the neighbor's four-yard touchdown by Herbert, it was a misdirection. They threw back. Really, no one was home on that play. How do you teach that backside coverage on that? Because Herbert threw it back. He got hit hard, got the ball out, but it was a touchdown on the other side. How do you teach that and fix that? Yeah, you know, it's a play that I don't think I've ever seen. This is my 19th year in the league, and I've, I've never seen a, a goal line play that was a throwback. Obviously, you know, they screwed the protection up because Max was free on that play to run to the quarterback, and it was just the fullback came back uh, to the backside, so our backside linebacker kind of lost vision when Herbert scrambled or uh, booted out to the front side, and they threw it back to the fullback. It was a well-designed play. I give him credit, but uh, we got we to gotta make sure it doesn't happen again. We're wrapping it up with Paul Gunther. After the Tampa game, the heat was on. Obviously, you were talking about maybe mixing and matching personnel. Some guys would sit. Others would play more. How has it changed now with the two weeks and the two wins on how you're using the roster depth, especially on that line. Uh, I just think that we're trying to, again, you know, after you know five or six games, you kind of, you know, you're not real familiar with some of these guys like Littleton and Kwiatkowski and mm-hmm. Isaiah. You know, you haven't really seen them play as much. So once you get them on tape and you go out there and say, okay, these are what these guys do good, whether it be the front, the linebackers, the corners, whatever it may be. Hey, this is what these guys can do good. Let's put them in those positions to, to, where they can succeed and utilize in all your assets, whether it be with the rushers or the cover guys or the, the guys who are playing the run. So uh, we just took a good look at that that stuff. Hopefully 
hopefully you know we can continue to pr- progress with the defense with a lot of these young and new guys that we have and uh, keep getting better each and every week. From an effort perspective with all the defenses you've coached your whole life, is this one of the best defenses when it comes to just putting a bad play behind him and then just coming and coming hard? It seems like the energy level and the effort is sky high. Yeah, you know, these guys, they don't lack effort. They practice hard. They play hard on Sundays. There's always going to be teachable moments in the game. Something happens in the game. We've got we to gotta get it correct and move on to the next play. I always tell them, don't let your last bad play affect your next, next great one. So uh, that's something that's for young players and new players that are here. Uh, we just got to understand to put it behind us, move on, and make a great play to win the game for us, much like Isaiah did for us. Thanks for making time for us, Coach. Greatly appreciate it. All right, JT. Appreciate it, man. You got Thank it. You. There he is. Bye-bye. Paul Gunther joining us. Thrilled that we could get Get him on and talk to him about that. So everything on the defensive side from the missile, Jonathan Abram, very interesting what he said on that play that he's never seen in 19 years because I wrote notes on that. I wanted to talk to him about that play. Uh, That is a misdirection play that I think has haunted the Raiders long before Paul Gunther ever came to this franchise. Start a play one way, bring it back the other way. Kansas City does it. Denver saw that. Will that be a play? It's hard to execute. From what he had to say there. Very hard to execute at the goal line doing that type of play, a throwback play, where you give up the quarterback. Max had the ability, Mad Max, to come free and hit him. And then he barely gets the ball off and he walks right into the end zone. For a guy who's seen as much as Paul Gunther, I'm really happy he answered that question. Because it was one that I wanted to know about. And the Raiders hopefully will be ready for it down the road. Thanks to Will Kiss and the Raiders for setting that up. And that's what we do here. We talk to the coaches. We talk to the players. We get a feel for what's happening. Coming up next is Denver. And we'll get into more of Denver right now on Raider Nation Radio. What do you think of Coach Gunther? Do you want to give him credit for having this defense ready to go? Anything else on this defense that you're concerned about now that you pretty much know this roster? 702-365-9200. 702-365-9200. You were taking shots at the defensive coordinator. I put him on and asked him all about the defense. Where do you go from here as a fan, getting behind the defense, this team, and what they need to improve on? You know, those guys just play hard. You got to tip your hat to them, and, and you really got to respect the way they play the game. They play hard. And we got to keep getting better and better, and that's what we're going to try to do in the second half of the season. Touchdown, Las Vegas. Since starting Allegiant some 20 years ago, we've flown more than 100 million people to be with those they love. We're pilots, flight attendants, and technicians, but we're also parents, spouses, and neighbors. And just like you, we're excited to reconnect with the people and places that matter most. That's why we're going the distance for health and safety, on the ground and in the air. Because the further we go now, the safer it'll be to go farther tomorrow. Allegiant, the official airline of the Las Vegas Raiders. Low fares, nonstop flights, only at Allegiant.com. So we continue on the game plan with former wide receiver and my teammate here on Raider Nation Radio, one of my great friends and someone we wanted to get into the game plan because he knows the Broncos and the Raiders as good as anybody. Mike Pritchard. Mike, thanks for coming in studio. Appreciate it. My pleasure, JT. Thanks for having me. First, let's talk about you and the radio show mornings on Raider Nation Radio as a former first-round pick in the NFL, a distinguished career. You've done a lot of radio. You did radio in Denver before you came here. 
What's the transition been like for you? It's been awesome. You know, growing up in Vegas, I never thought we'd have an NFL franchise, let alone an iconic one like the Las Vegas Raiders. So uh, it's been fabulous. It's been everything I thought it would be and more uh, because of the impact of the Las Vegas Raiders and now Las Vegas Raiders. And uh, just to be able to say that, to be able to go to Allegiant Stadium, watch the games, and, uh, and then talk about Raider football this way, uh, it's everything I could want. Uh, and certainly, uh, we hope that we respond to Raider Nation accordingly because Raider Nation brings it. They're passionate fan base and, and always brings it every, every single day. You won a national championship in Colorado. You're one of their greatest all-time players. Your roommate and friend, Eric Bieniemy. You got so many contacts as a player in this league. What were your earliest memories of the Raiders growing up here in Vegas? Well, growing up here in Vegas, um, you know, my earliest memories. So my influence was my brother. He's seven years older than me. Uh, and so I, I was a fan of the league. I was a fan of players, you know, the Walter Paytons of the world, the Tony Dorsett's of the world. I was a running back. Uh, and then certainly the Marcus Allens of the world. So uh, you get in touch with teams that way. But growing up here, I never really had a team. You know, you didn't have anybody to root for. So I just rooted for players. Uh, but then my influence for the Raiders, believe it or not, came from CU. You know, Brent Branch actually went to the University of Colorado, too, which is the son of Cliff Branch. And, um, you know, you think about some of the other players that, that were at CU uh, that played for the Raiders, too. And, and so you get a feel for that. You know, I, I didn't really know what the Raider uh, mystique was about until I got into the league. Uh, but certainly I knew of the Raiders and, and wanted to investigate more about the Raiders uh, through Brent Branch and others. Outstanding. Mike Pritchard on the game plan. Let's go. We were on draft night together mm -hmm. in this studio. The Raiders went with Henry Ruggs and then they went with Damon Arnett. So let's talk about the draft and how I don't want to say that Ruggs has struggled because he was injured early. I think he's getting double teamed. Jerry Judy, we'll see him. I think he's off to a good start like CeeDee Lamb. Assess these wide receivers first. Let's start with Ruggs before we get to Arnett and how Carr is trying to figure out that relationship. It's a hard one to figure out because Ruggs is such a playmaker. Ruggs at third uh, and his speed uh, is just an added dimension, an added element to an offense. And you think about the Raiders, what they're doing right now, they're so balanced. And you have to be disciplined within the balanced nature of the offense. You can't, you can't get off page. You can't go off script. You can't make things up. Uh, because I think things are done for a reason, whether Gruden's setting up plays or whether you're getting a feel and developing situations out there on the field. Uh, but what Ruggs third can do now is, is something I think the Raiders could use. I mean, his effectiveness on the field, JT, is is allowing Nelson Aguilar to get open, to have one-on-one -on -one coverages. It's allowing uh, the underneath throws, the intermediate throws, the, the concepts of of a dagger route that's deep down uh, down the field in which you can make first down in, in third and long situations. And, and so situational football from that standpoint – Ruggs, I think, has been highly effective. Now, from a production standpoint, it doesn't show up on the stat sheet, right? Mm -hmm. But he's averaging 22 yards uh, per reception. He's not targeted that much, but he has been effective in terms of allowing the offense to operate that it needs to operate. Mike Pritchard joins us on the game plan as we get ready for the Broncos. You told me something really important, and I learn a lot from you when it comes to X's and O's. Carr, in order for him to be, we had this discussion, is he a franchise quarterback or not before the season started? And you brought out some great, great pieces of knowledge for me about how he has to take his game to the next level and what you wanted to see 
him downfield with the concepts of looking off safeties and how to get to that next level. Are you seeing that progression? I have. Uh, in fact, D. Carr has elevated himself to franchise level. Um, uh, what Derek Carr has embraced and, and certainly what he has has led himself to understand this year is the nuance of the offense. Uh, and, and I think that typically happens in year three. Uh, now you're teamed up with John Gruden, uh, an offensive genius. In year three, it's spectacular what's going on with Derek Carr. He's manipulating a defense now. He's not just throwing to a spot. He's not just you know going through progression and let me find the open guy. No, he's manipulating a defense, meaning uh, what he's doing in the pocket the comfortable nature, the poise that he has to, uh, you know, have a defender drive on a route so he can open up the other option offensively down the field, or or to manipulate a linebacker to just slide over a little bit so I can create a, a, a larger window uh, to throw the ball through. So those little nuances like that they make a world of difference. JT, mm-hmm. they're they're five and three. Uh, for a lot of reasons, but the the primary reason is because of the elevation of Derek Carr. What have you seen with him running? He told me he was going to run more, and he should have ran more in the past. Are you surprised? He doesn't have to run all the time, Mm -hmm. but a couple of these critical first down, third down runs, moving the chains, keeping Gruden and those concepts flowing in a game, I think has made the difference. He's been a smart runner. Um, He's also energized his offense with his running ability. Uh, Just last week against the Chargers, leaping over a defender, that charges you up. I mean, you start to run through walls now. You start to say to yourself as a teammate, that's my quarterback. He is selling out for me right now. And, and so that's inspirational. That That's something that you take when, you know, you're a player, you're watching the tape after a victory. Uh, you, you store that. Uh, and then on top of that, later on in the future games, you're like, nobody's going to touch my quarterback now. You know, from an offensive line standpoint, from a running back standpoint, I got to protect him. And then certainly as a receiver, I'm going to make plays for him because he's out there making plays for me. So I think those moments that Derek Carr has created will have dividends uh, as they progress through the schedule this year. Mike Pritchard joins us, 13th pick in the first round in the 1991 NFL Draft. What a career with the Falcons, Broncos, and Seahawks. Now our morning guy on Raider Nation Radio now, how difficult has it been covering Trent Brown as a former player? You have contacts around the mm-hmm. league. You know what happens in a locker room, the energy in a locker room, COVID-19, protocol, back in protocol again. For me, it's been very complex because the Raiders are buttoned up, and they want to make sure they're doing the right thing to protect the player long term. It's been quite confusing for a lot of fans. It has, JT, and I, I really am careful sometimes about how I, I how I treat the situation and how I communicate with Raider Nation because um, you know not, not knowing all the facts, only understanding experiences. That's what I can go off of, um, and if I don't have all the facts, I'm not going to speculate. But I will say early on in the year, prior to the COVID situation, I I was suspect of Trent Brown. I was wondering um, when this guy or how he was attacking his rehab and and when the Raiders are going to be able to rely upon him. You know, it's one thing to be on a roster uh, and take up a roster spot, be the highest paid guy on the roster. uh, But then it's another one. Can we rely on you? You know, where do we lose faith or confidence even? Uh, But I, I tell you what, the way that other guys have stepped up, Trent Brown, take as much time as you need to fix whatever you need to fix. And that's how I approach it. Because right now, the Raiders, they don't need him. I think at some point, they might need him. But at that point, hopefully, Trent Brown is in a good spot. 
Mike Pritchard, as we wrap it up on the game plan, what should we expect from the Broncos? You covered this team, and you've had a lot of great guests on your radio show, and you can get those podcasts right here at Raiders, Raider Nation Radio, and we stream the shows right there on the Raiders mobile app. What, what, app. what should we expect from this team? They've been in a couple of close mm-hmm. games. They beat the Patriots. The Raiders got rolled by the Patriots. They come back. That comeback win against the Chargers were amazing. What do you expect to see? I expect a young, scrappy football team uh, from Denver. And I say that because offensively they have a young quarterback that does not have enough starts under his belt uh, to solidify that position, but yet they're fighting. Um, Philip Lindsay uh, is a fighter. Uh, I think their receiving positions, uh, those guys want to fight. They want to be better. They all want to be better. I mean, everybody uh, in the league, you want that to happen. Uh, but there's a struggle, though. The execution, uh, the inconsistency, uh, those are areas that the, Ra- the Raiders can take advantage of. I-, I think defensively, they just don't have enough playmakers over there. Von Miller's injured. Uh, Chubb's coming off of an injury. Uh, their linebacking core is slow. They're powerful, but they're slow. Uh, and then in the secondary, um, there- there's just no uh, comfort back there. A lot of moving mm-hmm. parts, a lot of injuries, too. So the Raiders are catching the Broncos at a great time. It's just you got to play 60 minutes because I think this team will fight you. I think the Broncos will come in here uh, and fight the Las Vegas Raiders, so be prepared for that. Is there something to be said playing your first game ever in a new market or a new stadium that adds to what we're seeing from these road teams that are coming in? There's no fans. There's no Vegas the way it's supposed to be. There's no going out for a quick dinner if you're a player. You're in lockdown here. But I think these teams are coming into Vegas wanting to win, especially the first game of a rivalry in a brand-new stadium. Absolutely. Uh, I think the Broncos are coming off a situation, whereas last week, if they would have got that win against Atlanta, I think this week they're feeling like, hey, we can get back into it. Uh, we have a long season. We're young, and uh, we feel good about ourselves. But I, I think that defeat uh, led to lack of confidence still. I, I think this team still lacks some confidence but they're going to come in here willing to fight, though. And you're right. No fans, uh, an opportunity to get the win on the road. I mean, I think a lot of teams have that approach. Finally, the NFL with the news this week, the contingency plan to take the playoffs out to eight games. Do you think that's good? I'm okay with it because it's COVID. If it's mm-hmm. isolated for a year, and the Raiders would be in as the sixth seed right now as we record this podcast and this for the radio shows, or if they go out to seven, they're in. Raiders have an opportunity. They cannot take a step backwards. The schedule finally opens up for them, but you played in this league, and you don't look that far ahead under John Gruden. You no, know, you don't, but you also realize you control your own destiny, though. I mean, I know the coaches and, and the front office, I mean, you kind of approach it that way, and uh, you have meetings about that. Now, how do you convey that to the players? Do you, do you let the players know so they know what to expect, or do you kind of gradually let the players know like each week you want the players the fellas in the locker room uh, to stay locked in on their opponent each week right but you also there's nothing wrong with looking ahead though uh and anticipation because I think it charges you up too and and here's why I say that when I won my championship in college we always went through the schedule and we always looked ahead and so yes we we would play Oklahoma this week right but then we had Oklahoma State, and we knew that, okay, we had Kansas. But then we also knew we had that big boy, which was Nebraska. And we always wanted to know what they were doing each and every week because it was that buildup, JT. It was that, it was that buildup of that matchup that meant so much. So I don't know how Coach Gruden's going to approach it. I think you can approach it either way. But these professional athletes and the fact that the Raiders have not won a playoff game in so long, 
uh, just to remind them of what's at stake, I don't know if that hurts it. I, I, I think there's so much confidence on this football team right now that to know that you control your destiny and if you take care of business each and every week, uh, man, you have a, a great chance of doing some special things this year. You're a businessman off the air. You work at VSIN, you work on Raider Nation Radio. You miss football, but you have so many friends. I, I'm one of your friends. I know your friends. You've taken me into your life, which I greatly appreciate. You know my wife and mm-hmm. kids. It seems like this is a great spot for you in your career and life right now. You're really enjoying everything. I am. It's a lot. I'll admit yeah, to you, it it's a lot. I never <laughs> thought I'd be doing this much. But, um, no, I, I have embraced it and thankful for the opportunities because, uh, if anything, a pandemic, will, will, it will absolutely make you do is be thankful. Yeah, You know, be thankful of your friends, be thankful uh, uh, certainly of your family and everybody's doing that, uh, but opportunities and, and recognizing them uh, and then certainly making the most of them. Thanks for coming on the game plan, Mike. Thanks for having me. It helps us have multiple schemes. I think that's what we're seeing is uh, we're a very multiple offense. We'll, we'll take some shots. We can, we can win with, <laughs> not being funny, but the quarterback running, the running backs going crazy. We can win with, you know, passing the ball. Um, we're, finding, we're finding ways to win and we're going to take, uh, take, take what we want. All right, let's continue on the game plan with one of the greatest Raiders of all time, and I mean that. Accomplishments, eight-time Pro Bowler, a member of the NFL 1990s All-Decade team, the great Steve Wisniewski joins us. Wiz, great to catch up with you, my friend. How are you? JT, thank you for having me on the show. You are a true professional, and it's always a joy to talk Raider football with you. Well, I get your emails on the market. We had an election. You're busy with your with your world and what you're doing, and you're following Raider football. I, this has probably been a busy couple of weeks for you, I would assume. Oh, it has been, but Raider football is near and dear to my heart. And I'm on Twitter talking to Raider fans, even here in Austin, Texas, man. They're everywhere, and I keep up with a number of my teammates. So I'm thrilled with what the team is doing, the direction we're headed, and the attitude in which they're playing. Wes, Trent Brown has been on COVID-19 protocol. He had COVID. It's been really tough following him because he's a great player. He's the highest-paid right tackle in NFL history. The Raiders are better with him. We saw that in the Kansas City game, but they got to get him right. And for you, that you were just a warrior in all the games you played in. What's it like when your teammate next to you or on the other side of you isn't ready to go and it's next man up in the locker room? Yeah, absolutely, JT. These guys are professionals. They know next man up. You never know in the NFL. So I feel good with the backups and the way they've played, the way they've fit in. But, however, there is a cohesiveness. When I played with my teammates, I'll use a Don Mosbar, a center like that, for, for many, many years. You didn't even need to say anything. I could give him a look. I could give him a tap. I could mumble, you know, something under my breath, and we knew what that code word meant. And um, you made each other better. You played better together. So when, when the next man comes up, yes, they fit in. They're Raiders. They know the scheme. But you do miss something. You miss those unspoken things, and uh, it's hard to play as well as you would. Trent Brown's a great player. I want to get him back. I don't know what's going on with that young man health-wise, but we are better when he is on the field. Absolutely. You know, you played for a lot of great offensive line coaches, and Tom Cable, the job he's doing 
with Denzel Good, Brandon Parker, when they try to get guys to step up, they're playing at a very high level. And Coach Gruden brings this up often in these press conferences, talking about Coach Cable and this next man up mentality. I think it's the reason, Wiz, why this team's at 5-3, and three, because these backups on the offensive line, they're doing their job. Yeah, hats off to Tom Cable. I know him well. I never played for him. But, you know, he's been decades in the NFL and you know a good coach because just what you mentioned, how do they do with the backups jump in there? How do they do with the scheme? He's a true professional, and no matter who's on the roster, I know they're going to be ready to play. Uh, you can't deny, though, there is a step down. There is a reason we pay Trent Brown more than any other right tackle in the league. So I don't expect his backup to do as well as Trent. But you know what? I'm, I'm really pleased with the attitude I see and the performance I see. And you see it in the running game, especially. Steve Wisniewski joins us on the game plan. Steve, what's it like? Take our listeners behind the scenes when you have a matchup. You go from a game like the Raiders did the Chargers to Denver or Kansas City's looming here in two weeks. When you know the game plan is going to change, it's going to go from pass protection to a heavy dose of running. How does that game plan get put in right after the game ends? You get the day off on Tuesday, but you kind of got a sense that it's going to change a little bit. You're going to have new responsibilities on the O-line. Yeah, so you have to have the etch-o-sketch mindset. You know, last week is gone. Just, you know, scramble your brains. The coaches are going to see what the weakness is of the the, the upcoming opponent. In one week, you may run the ball, you know, 40 times. In the next week, you may be passing the ball 40 times. But you just have to go with the flow. I remember one time we, we opened up down in San Diego, and we came out and threw the ball 12 straight times in a row. You know, as an offensive lineman, you'd rather run the ball, set your pads, come off the ball, um, but you you take what the defense gives you. And um, I like that variety. I I think it's good to exploit whatever weakness uh, the defense that week presents. Wes, what was it like conditioning for you in season? Because that's a big topic around here now, Rodney Hudson getting a day off just to get healthier and knowing that he's the best center in the league and they he gets a veteran day. What was that like for you after a really <laughs> blood and guts battle in the trenches going up against maybe one of the all-time greats? What was the recovery like for you midweek? The recovery was like take a couple extra aspirin, JT. <laughs> it was a different era back then. And I joked because my nephew Stefan is in his, his 10th season now. He's with the Pittsburgh Steelers. He actually just got released because of an injury uh, a week ago, so he's available. But he's a great player. Stephens had a great career, won two Super Bowl rings. But we joke about it all the time. The league is so different physically than now than it was back then. We would go two or three weeks in two-a-days, pads, pads, throughout training camp. And on Wednesday and Thursday, especially my early coaches like Art Shell, they believed in pounding. They believed you got better for Sunday by beating the defense on Wednesday and Thursday. Now it's a different mindset. These guys take care of their body. Um, I didn't know what a veteran day off looked like or sounded like uh, when I played. And quite honestly, like I always felt like I was letting my teammates down, even if I was to take a practice off. So that just wasn't for me. Was I work with Mike Haynes, and he's widely considered part of one of the greatest trades of all time when he went from the Patriots to the Raiders and the rest is Hall of Fame history. You were involved with the trade, too. If we go back overall, second round, 29 overall, and the trade from the Cowboys to the L.A. Raiders, how did that come about? Can you walk me through the historic moment and how it affected your life? Yeah, so I'm down here in Austin, Texas now, JT, and people look me up and Google me and they say, oh, you played with the Cowboys. 
And, you know, no, no, I didn't play with the Cowboys. It, it was a different era back then, too. Uh, maybe we weren't as um, tech-savvy. But uh, what happened on draft day, unbeknownst to me, I'm just watching the draft like everything else. First round is over. They go to commercial. Come back after the commercial break, and I saw down below on the ticker tape, Steve Wisniewski, guard Penn State, selected by the Dallas Cowboys. We celebrated in the little college apartment I was in. About 100 friends and, and family and teammates were over. We're cheering because I was ready to go anywhere, absolutely anywhere. Um, got a phone call, and uh, it sounded just like my teammate, Roger Duffy, a center. And I said, Roger, get up here, man. Let's, you know, have a beer and, you know, join the fun. And I hung up on him. A minute goes by, the phone rings again, and uh, it's uh, Mike Shanahan. He said, no, no, don't hang up, Steve. Uh, uh, I'm Mike Shanahan, head coach of the Los Angeles Raiders. We just traded for your rights. You're, you're now a Raider. And then we bust into a cheers again, you know, in the celebration. Uh, wow. But time was running out on the clock. Uh, Mr. Davis was uh, good friends with Jerry Jones, and they just had a gentleman's agreement. They said, well, you select Wisniewski, and we're going to work out the details afterwards. And as part of that trade, though, I think the Cowboys may have got the better end of that stick uh, because we gave them a uh, switch picks and gave them a, a three and a five. And uh, with that, they took um, uh, Mark Stepnowski, the center out of Pitt, and um, Daryl Johnston, a.k.a. Moose the uh, fullback out of uh, uh, Syracuse. So they got two great players, and, uh, you know, hopefully I've lived up to Mr. Davis's expectations You absolutely well. did. Steve Wisniewski, one of my favorite all-time Raiders. What a great leader. You were a two-time All-American at Penn State. I asked this to Matt Millen a week ago when he had, we had him on, going from one of the best programs in the history of college football, then to the Raiders and Al Davis, and Matt went on to talk about that and what a blessing it was for him. So from Penn State to Al Davis and playing your whole career with the Raiders, that's special. Some of the greatest football minds of all time you were around at a young age. Yeah, absolutely, JT, and I was very blessed even to meet Matt Millen when I was 12 years old. He was teammates. My older brother Leo played at Penn State and played with the Baltimore Colts. My nephew Stephen played at Penn State. And, of course, with the Raiders and on, had a great career. He's still in the league. Um, so three of us played for Joe Paterno. Um, just an amazing uh, tradition and heritage there. And I spoke many times to Mr. Davis about Joe Paterno. They really had nothing but the highest admiration for one another. And two great organizations, two great teams, two great leaders, and uh, really a, a sense of tradition and family to both. And um, I, I can't say enough, the great job Mark Mark Davis has done, but he has continued to build and foster that, that feeling of family. Once a Raider, always a Raider. And, um, and it's very unique. It's very unlike any other team in the National Football League, the, of, uh, the, what this organization has done in building community. One of my best recent memories of you was when you were brought out for the introduction in London at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, and you were representing the Raiders along with other esteemed alumni. That meant a lot to you, that trip to see fans, to be a part of the Raiders. You really enjoy this alumni experience. We just missed the fact that you can't come to Vegas or Vegas has been restricted here. This is a big part of your future going forward down there in Austin and being able to catch a quick, quick flight up to Vegas on game day going forward. I'm sure you're looking forward to that. It really is, JT. And, again, hats off to Mark Davis, Mark Bedane, 
but also John Gruden. I got to give you one example. Last season, he said, Wiz, I want you to come out. They flew me to London, first class, a, a whole week in London. I said, John, what can I do? He says, nothing. I just want you to be around the guys, spend time, eat meal, a meal with them, go to practice, you know, and uh, I want them to spend time with you. Then later that season, he calls me up. He says, Wiz, I'd love to had you come out again for two more games. They had a, uh, a Sunday and a Thursday game. I said, sure, John, I'll do anything you want. What, what can I do? He goes, nothing. Just spend time with the guys. And, you know, who does that, JT? That is very rare, but he's building community. He wants uh, his young team to be around former players. He wants the Raider way to transcend, uh, you know, the modern age, if you will. Outstanding. Let's uh, wrap it up with a football comment on Josh Jacobs and how he's running the football yards after contact, how he's going running in between the guard and the center, but he can catch it on the outside and make plays. I mean, the comparisons to Marcus and Bo statistically are there as a young player here. They just got to keep them healthy, get this offensive line back. What do you love about this running back, Josh Jacobs? Let's start with attitude. I love Jacobs' attitude, his outlook on life his desire to work hard every day. He's putting his signature on every ounce of game film you watch. It's fun to watch this young man, and he's representing the Raider organization phenomenally well. And having said that, I played with some really, really great players. Bo Jackson, Marcus Allen, Eric Dickerson, Roger Craig, all through my time with the Raiders. I could go on and on. Napoleon Kaufman, Tyrone Wheatley, and others. Um, Greg Bell, Nick Bell. But I tell you what, He is representing himself extremely well. He's a young player, but I believe he could be as great as any of those names I've mentioned over time uh, if he can stay healthy. He can just have a marquee career. Great, Wiz. Good to talk to you. You're on my short list, especially with all the offensive line news, the game coming up against the Broncos. Thanks for joining us on the game plan. Really appreciate it. Always a pleasure, JT. You're a true professional, man. Love you. Thank you. Love you, too. There he is, Wiz. How about that? Getting Steve Wisniewski on the show this week. So we put together the Game Plan podcast, and the Raiders helped me. Who do you want this week? Well, I'd like Wiz. No problem. Quick bat call to Austin, Texas. Wiz gets back to me on text message. When do you need me? Let's talk football. He is the future Hall of Famer. Everybody forgets Wiz in the Hall of Fame. I don't know how. He was arguably the best guard of his era. If you look at what he's done, an eight-time Pro Bowler, eight-time, two-time first-team All-Pro, all-decades team of the 90s, and we rightfully talk about Coach Flores, Lester Hayes, the late Cliff Branch, Jim Plunkett. Please remember Steve Wisniewski as a Hall of Famer for the Raiders and played his entire career with the Silver and Black. He was fantastic, and his footprint in this organization is massive. You just heard what he said, took you behind the scenes about Coach Gruden, reaching out to him. I know what Mark Davis and Mark Bedane think of him, and I know what the alumni department thinks of him. He loves the Raiders, loves the Raiders, and he's one of my all-time favorite players. I remember when I was uh, just hired to be the coach of the Raiders, they were the two-time defending champs. John Elway was in his heyday, and Mike Shanahan and Terrell Davis, Shannon Sharp. I remember them well. Rod Smith, McCaffrey, a lot of nightmares. It's a great, great organization. Uh, the AFC West is, is a big reason I wanted to come back and coach. It's a, it's a division that's been in its entirety for a long time. These are great rivalries, Chargers, Chiefs, 
Broncos, Raiders. They go way back in time, and this is always a special week for both teams. Hope you enjoyed all three of those guests. Really excited about it as the Raiders get set for a home game this coming Sunday against the Denver Broncos. For everyone at Silver and Black Productions, I'm JT. Thanks for joining us on The Game Plan. Thank you for listening to The Game Plan on the official Raiders Podcast Network.